If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Snake's Revenge. The following commands may be ignored by cowards, traitors, and enemy spies. Welcome to Nostalgia, a chronological exploration of every NES game released in North America. I'm Mike. I'm Sean. And I'm Joe. Guys, you may be noticing that I didn't say uh, Metal Gear at the top, and that is because the box omits that. Uh, This is clearly a sequel to Metal Gear, but it's not called Metal Gear 2 Snake's Revenge. It's just Snake's Revenge. Yeah, I I learned uh, pretty close to, you know, just starting the game that this is not the game that I thought it was. And I knew this game existed just from being a fan of the Metal Gear series in general. But I guess I'm not that that big of a fan because I could have swore that we were playing like the canonical second game. And I was very disappointed. (laughs) So this is. So the other NES games are canon, and this is not. What do you mean by that... other NES games? So there's just Metal Gear, uh, and then and then Snake's Revenge on the NES. Whereas oh, yeah. when the... you referenced, you thought this was another game. I thought so, maybe there yeah, was there's an a, another Kojima game. sequel to Metal Gear called Metal Gear Two Solid Snake, and I thought that this was just a different name for the same game, and it's not that. But Metal Gear Two Solid Snake is not on the NES. It is not. It was made just for the MSX2, and as Sean mentioned, uh, Hideo Kojima is not involved with this port, Snake's Revenge, at all. He, the NES version of Metal Gear is a little different than the MSX version of Metal Gear, so I guess like if you actually had a canon, uh, the Metal Gear MSX version would be the one to play, not necessarily the NES version. But that said, at least Kojima was involved in that one. It, for this Snake's Revenge, he was not involved at all. Um, in fact, it was being developed like almost simultaneously with Metal Gear 2 Solid Snake. So that's kind of funny. Uh, but, you know, it's Konami. They own the, the game, so they don't have to keep bringing the same person to make them. It's like, did it Miyamoto make every single Mario game? No, but he probably saw them, at least. And that's what's the difference here. <laughs> Kojima did not really get even a chance to say... Well, maybe I wouldn't make it uh, a side-scrolling game, like a focus on the stealth. Like, yeah, at that point, like he wasn't Kojima; he was just some guy named Kojima that made the first one, and like he wasn't uh, this this titan 
uh, that that should have a hand creatively in everything. Yeah, he just he's just like some guy in the payroll. Absolutely, Sean. He also made Antarctic Adventure, which you'll remember we played on a Bites episode, and we were all like, "What? Why are we doing this? Like, there's nothing <laughs> special about this game." And it was because Kojima made it. It was his first game. So, um, from penguins to stealth games to no involvement whatsoever, this sequel was produced specifically for the Western market. And uh, if anybody's wondering what Kojima's thoughts are on the game, it's a little bit of like a ping pong. First, he's like, yeah, it's fine. It's faithful to the whole Metal Gear concept. Then, uh, like in 2009 at GDC, he was like, this is a crappy game. And then in another interview with Nintendo Power back when they were still around, but after the 2009 GDC, he said that he doesn't consider it to be a bad game. So it went from it's good, it's bad, it's not bad, but it's not good. Now, now, was this last interview, was this pre or post Konami blow up? Uh, pre. Okay. So we need another interview with him now. Exactly. Yeah, he probably would have been working on five at the time. But wasn't he not involved in one of them before? Wasn't five the one after the blow up? It, it no? released after, but. Oh, okay. Isn't like Metal Gear Online the one he's not involved in? I think so. Uh, but I know that Metal Gear Five came out after everything happened, but he still like very much was the developer of the game. Which is the one where you like attach people to balloons and shoot them into the that air? That is five. Okay. Right. Well, that sounds like a Kojima game to me. <laughs> he made a whole game where you just walk around <laughs> and attach people to balloons. My um my maybe you answered this already, but. Just to clarify, so is Metal Gear 1 canon still with the Metal Gear Solid stuff on the PlayStation 1 and beyond? Yeah. Okay. I wasn't sure if, like, all the NES games happened and then they were like, okay, now we're going to make the, re- you know, they, like, rebooted it on the PlayStation 1 or whatever. No, no. In fact, in, what's really cool and, um, you know, we should probably do, like, a Metal Gear Solid bonus episode at some time because I just played it and it's one of Sean's favorite games. Um, what's cool is that they have, like, you can get a bunch of codex before you ever even jump into the game of listening about the events of Metal Gear 1 and 2, but specifically the adventures on the MSX. That said, they weren't that different between the NES and MSX for the first Metal Gear. And uh, in, I forgot if it's like Substance or Subsistence, one of those like re-release games, um, I think they have both, like all of the 8-bit Metal Gears playable. I think even both like Snake's Revenge and Solid Snake. Um, so it's it's kind of funny. Uh, so they kind of treat them all as, as one big happy family. So all this talk about Metal Gear as a franchise and everything, now we have to remember that uh, we don't have to judge this based on uh, future games. Like, don't worry about Metal Gear Solid or Metal Gear Solid 5 with balloons or whatever Kojima winds up doing after Death Stranding, which is apparently just Death Stranding 2. Uh, (laughs) Forget all that for a second, and let's just talk about Snake's Revenge as a follow-up to the Metal Gear we played on the NES. Is it a noticeable improvement over the first Metal Gear? Were there things that you guys saw in your gameplay that was like, well, I'm happy they added this, or, you know, oh, they really uh, made the stealth, like, more intuitive or complex or something. I don't fully remember, like, a lot of specifics about Metal Gear, other than the fact that I found it interesting and I enjoyed it, and and, it, and I remember it being, like, not perfect. But this one, I did feel 
from what I remember, I felt much more frustrated in this one more often. So, like, again, so like I don't have, like, specifics, but, like, based on what I was... Maybe my expectations were high because I remembered liking the original, but I, I remember finding this one more frustrating for, for various reasons. I think uh, I remember, like, one of the key differences, and, again, my my memory of the first one is fuzzy, but I... I feel like we we harped a bit about like if you change screens then like your like the alarm stops like is that was that a thing like if you were to trip an alarm and then you went to a new screen would the alarm still be going in Metal Gear? I believe you're correct. So it wouldn't, right? It wouldn't. Yeah, it was like okay. a, it was a glitch out essentially. <laughs> so the fact that this had that continuity I thought was an improvement, at least in like, oh, I'm a spy, and like, I don't just have to walk over uh, 15 feet and everyone forgets about me. It's like, no, you gotta like clear out the room. Yeah, and then once you've killed three people, they're like, oh, I guess there was probably no danger ever. Well, you just killed everyone, you killed everyone that heard you, is how I had like headcanoned. Yeah, but what about the alarm that was going off in the whole building? Like the alarm is for us. It's it's an alarm in your I head. Know. I get it. <laughs> well, what's what's weird is is you can track the alarm across multiple screens, but they still couldn't get the idea that like enemies you killed on the screen before are dead. Well, yeah. I mean, that's I think that's also a balance thing <laughs> because it's they're very easy to kill. Yeah, you spend a lot of time running through back and forth through different things, so I feel like pretty quickly just the whole building would be empty. Yeah, so I get that. I think what they could have done as a trade-off, though, is because this is going to be one of the things I complain about, so I'm just going to spend a little more time on it. One of the things they could have done as a trade-off is, like, after X amount of screens, enemies come back, because it's, it's not necessarily designed in a way, because it happens many times in the game, where you will enter the screen, and it will have had the enemies designed in a way that they will not immediately see you, and so you'll be able to be like, okay, well, what's the stealth route here? Like, do I go behind these barrels and then punch this guy, or, you know, do I have the silencer so I don't have to worry about being as stealthy? And that's all fine. And then you're going to go through the door that you needed the key card for or whatever, and you go through that door and you get that new item, and then you come out of that door, and the enemies were never designed as if you were going to come out of two different entrances, and so they spot you right away, and it's like, well, this is dumb. Like, now I don't even get the chance to be stealthy. That seems to be how everything works, like, because even if you were to enter a room that has pickups in it, and then walk back out, and then walk back into that room, the pickups are there. So you can, like, sort of cheese that, and I guess the trade-off is that the enemies get to kind of cheese you um, and it sounds, it feels like, you know, it was a design oversight and less, less a bug. <laughs> yeah. You know, I actually, the more I'm sitting with what I just said, like in defense of that, the more I'm not sure I agree with it anymore, because I don't think it necessarily would be such a bad thing that you clear out the whole building. Cause like you did that, you earned that. Maybe you got to make the enemies a little harder to sneak past for that to work. So then it feels like a little more weighty. But, like, you know, you think of a modern game, and it might be silly to, like, compare it, but, like, you know, you think, not even modern, you know, like, you think of, like, Dishonored 2, uh, which is what, that that's, like, six years old now, or if not more. But still, like, you think of something like that, where it's like, yeah, you kill everybody in this building, and then they're all dead. They don't come back. That doesn't ruin my experience. It actually makes it, like, okay, like, I've earned now the ability to walk a little more freely because I've stealthily took out enough people, you know, and I think that it, you can design that properly here. Because, yeah, what you said, Mike, actually does strike me as a big problem, even if it's not 
like, oh, I walked back out of this room. I had to go into and immediately was caught, which that's a problem in itself. But also it's like, I just put a lot of like energy into being as stealthy as possible. It's like, okay, now I just got to like do it again. Like exactly the same. Like it just doesn't, it starts to lose. It's uh I don't know if it's a problem. I, I can understand not liking it. Uh, but I, I don't think that, that that that's like the wrong way to go about it. It's a stealth game. You're supposed to just not be seen. I think in a way it's sort of disincentivizing you of trying to like go and just kill everybody because it's really all for naught. So just try not to be seen. It'll be a lot less of a headache in the uh, in the end. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't also saying that like it's the wrong way to go about it. I guess I was just saying that I don't think what I said initially about clearing everybody out is wrong either. You know, I think that that could totally work. I think I'm just looking for more harmony between the be stealthy and uh, punishment for getting caught because uh, it is actually, uh, you know, tough in a game where you don't have that much health and yeah, you can cheese the rations, but if you're not near them, then you'd have to backtrack back to them if you run out. Uh, it is punishing to be caught and to have like multiple enemies following you uh, as the alarm is triggered. And so you're rewarded for being stealthy. Like this is the kind of game that you uh, theoretically don't ever want to be caught in. And that's impossible in this version just because certain pickups require certain entrances that just weren't designed around. And so you will be seen. And so it doesn't feel as cool because it's like, oh, this would have been a great game if it could be completed 100% pacifist, but uh, because it relies so much on the stealth, I was surprised to see that there are some situations you just can't avoid. I guess I don't remember any that were, like, I, w- I was auto-spotted while while getting out of a uh, a room or anything, but I'll, I'll, I'll take your word for it. Yeah, I remember that happening, like, once or twice, but, like, very rare. Right. It's mostly on those, uh, like when you actually enter a room, not necessarily from screen to screen, which is what makes me think that they design them from entering, uh, from entering from a different hallway than from entering the rooms, because the rooms are purposefully being guarded, right? Like the enemy focus attention is there. So they should have just made it so that if you're coming out of said room, that the enemies are now looking in the hallways first or something. But the actual biggest change in terms of gameplay is this side-scrolling addition. In in the first game, you were ever only playing top-down stealth gameplay, and in this one, they've kind of added uh, a whole new mode, essentially, where you're uh, you're snake in in, like the same way that Link was uh, side-scrolling in uh, the Adventures of Link. It's like, oh, I didn't think Zelda games ever uh, looked this kind of way. It's like, oh, I didn't think. Metal Gear games uh, ever functioned in this way. It's not that it's terrible or anything. It's just a little bit different from... It it makes the game almost like um, Contra and less like Metal Gear. Yeah, I am... The the people that I was watching um, after playing through it myself, uh, I got a lot of Russian attack uh, comparisons, which I I guess I can kind of feel. I remember... I remember a bit of Russian attack and the vibe that that had. Um, 
I see that you can finally go prone, which is a Metal Gear staple. Um, laying down and then moving that way, that's always fun, sort of shimmying on your belly. Like, who doesn't do that when you're playing Metal Gear? Um, and, you know, there's the, the underwater sections, which seem kind of frustrating and terrible. But like that, that's, those are the kinds of things that I saw in the, in the side-scrolling. It is strange because it's side-scrolling, but it, it's still, I still feel the DNA of it being a stealth game. It doesn't feel like it's really, in, like it's very like fun to move specifically. It doesn't feel like there's a lot of great like motion physics, but there is opportunity in this side-scroller to like duck under someone's line of view and take them out with a knife or, or like... Yeah, like sneak through the water and come up behind someone and and shoot or with a silencer or whatever. Like so, like that is just interesting because usually when you think side scroller, you think it it is like physics or like action based, and this is still seems to be trying to either it's trying to keep some stealth or it did a bad job of being an action game. But like I felt like it was it, it had like stealth DNA. Yeah, it's very procedural in the sense of like you only see enough information to think about your upcoming task so whether it's another soldier um or it's the water or it's platforms it's like you're you're being very methodical about your next steps and using the appropriate equipment like you might change between the gun and the knife or uh you know like making sure you have the oxygen tank for the water uh, so I like that. And then Sean, I liked your Russian attack mention because that's a Konami game. So, uh, who knows? Like maybe there was a little bit of the same team working on this. Yeah. Like, oh, that worked. Let's, let's do that. We don't need this Hideo guy. Uh, also in terms of equipment, you know, we mentioned the oxygen tank for water and that's in the side scrolling sections, but there's also just a lot of new equipment. And I think the most interesting one, the one to note, and I'm sure is always noted when talking about this game. Key card is, one. Key yeah. Card two. <laughs> well, you know, that's actually, three. thank you for reminding me about that because I can, <laughs> I can, I can talk about that for a second. That was something I expected to be an improvement over the first Metal Gear and am disappointed to find out that they didn't fix that. What a pain in the butt that the <laughs> key card for key card one opens up doors beyond the moment that you collect key card two. But key card two isn't um, key card one plus two. It only opens doors that are key card two. So you have to know which card to use. Of course, that would be great if the doors were labeled for them. So instead, you just go up to a door and it doesn't open when you have key card two. So you're like, all right, I guess I'll try key card one, which doesn't sound like too big of a deal, right? What's Mike complaining about? You got to just move through the menus and everything. There's eight of them. Eight key cards you got to get through. (laughs) And you got to be like, all right, wait, is it this one? Because key cards three, four, five, six, they're all still showing up. It is the video game equivalent of going of that of that classic sight gag of somebody going through each key on a key ring one by one. And all they needed to do was color code them. Put something next to the door on the actual field of play that was colored the same as the key card in your inventory, and it would have been fine. Uh, but no, they just didn't do that, and it made it goofy. Yeah, and I do think that even even if they did do that, the going to the menu to get the key card every time does feel like it doesn't add anything to my gameplay. You know, I get it. Like, that's what you'd have to do. You'd have to pick up the key card and put it in the door every time. But, like, I thought when I, so when I first got, when I was in that first building and I got key card one, 
apparently picking up keycard one auto selects it. So like that, or maybe that was the only gadget I had or whatever piece of equipment or whatever it is that I had. So it was just automatically selected. So ever since I picked up keycard one, those doors would just open when I walked into them. So I was like, oh, that's cool. I don't need to use keycard one. In my head, it was just like, I have it. Now all these doors will open to me. Then I got keycard two and no doors were opening. So I was like, these must be keycard three or four doors. I, I, so I was just like, we spent like still another hour running around like trying to figure out what to do until suddenly it dawned on me. I don't even remember how that I had to select keycard two in order to get those things. So maybe that's just me being stupid. I mean, that's definitely just me being stupid, but also like, yeah, it's, it's an issue. I, I don't think I, I would have much of, I'd have as much of a problem of like going and selecting it. Um, if it was more clearly communicated to you, what door was for what? Um, because I think you would naturally see like, oh, this is a different color or this is, oh, there's a different symbol here. It doesn't have to be a color. Um, but no, I think the whole having to select it in addition to there not being any information given is the problem. And then to get back onto my original thought of the, the piece of equipment that probably is the most interesting uh, addition to Snake's uh, gadgetry is the truth gas, which uh, you can actually use on specific enemies to then interrogate them and uh, get information on uh, uh, on on things and not have to fight them instead. And then that kind of counts, just like how uh, rescuing hostages is optional. Uh, doing these interrogations counts towards your um, rank promotions. And of course, the ranks were in Metal Gear One. The way that works is. That as your rank goes up from one star, two star, I think all the way up to six stars, it increases uh, your maximum health and how much ammo you can carry. That is true. It's true, but what did you think of the truth gas? Did you? Oh wait, did you, was I using the truth gas on you there? Is that why you said ha. that is true? Ha 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 ha. Um, no. What, what did you think of the truth gas? Did you ever actually wind up using it, or did you not find it? Like, uh, I don't think things were hard to find in this game because there's a natural curiosity of just like. There's a door. Uh, I should I should go in there. Like there's there's not many like hidden secrets in that regard. I didn't end up actually using it. It it was just something. I think there's like I have to I have to bring it back to the new the newer games because the the UI in that game made it so everything was just sort of at your fingertips and so you would naturally just try things out. Um, but the, with everything being on this other menu, like it wasn't just with the truth gas, like there were entire like weapon varieties I didn't use because there's just so many of them and you have to go to a menu to go use them. So I guess I'm also using the Joe complaint here of, I'll go to the menu and go use it. But, uh, it, yeah, it was, it was less, it, it did take you out of it. I will agree there. Specifically now with other equipment. Yeah. I, uh, as far as the truth gas, I used it maybe early on. I used it a couple times with like those like non hostages in a room that like when you talk to them without the truth gas, they're like, I don't know anything. I swear. So I'm like, okay, this seems like the game wants me to use the truth gas on them. And then they what what they tell you is like the weapon is almost ready. And I feel like like at first I was like, okay, because I've heard this in the game, like I like Sn Snake will have this information later and it'll like change something but it just seems like that was information for me which didn't mean anything <laughs> like it's like yeah i know that's like the premise of the game so i was like yeah so i so then i, I never used it again to see but I, 
you know, now that I'm thinking about it, that was probably those first two were probably like to teach you what it does. And maybe the information got more and more useful as it went on, but I never really used it again. Yeah, it's definitely just uh, lore building of, you know, finding out confidential information from the enemy. Uh, but again, it helps towards the ranks. So um, it's, a, it's a good way to increase your uh, max health, which is obviously beneficial in a game where um, getting caught means that several enemies are going to start shooting at you. And also, their bullets shoot and they go over, like they're able to shoot over the canisters. But you're not able to. Is Snake really bad with a gun, or are these enemies... He's short. Okay, he's short. Got it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Another um, holdover from the previous Metal Gear game is the, um, what do we call that? The transceiver. And that is uh, that in this game, there's no more dialing numbers, uh, which I guess some people might have hated. I thought there was a charm to it, um, especially because you just, you learn the people's numbers. It's not like they ever made you just guess like, you know, hey, <laughs> we, we came up with thousands of digits and it's up to you to find these people's, you know, uh, radio numbers. It was like, no, the game gave them to you. So instead, the game says, nah, forget that. Instead, let's just have these people's num names and numbers already at the ready, even though you have no idea who they are. And if you call them, they won't be available unless they're, uh, you know, on, unless you're on the correct screen. Yeah. Um, so it's just, it seems like it's actually not an improvement in any regard. I don't know. I, I liked it. The, the, the whole transceiver thing, like, it has its own sort of UI. Like, there's a battery indicator, even though, like, you don't really have to worry about the battery. I think it like drops out on like a specific story element. Um, but it seems like a natural progression from this janky analog, like radio you're looking around in the first game to now you've got like this backlit LCD, uh, where you can just select like a contact that you saved instead of having to dial it in yourself. Like it makes sense in the deep lore. Yeah. Now in the, in the first game, that was that game had the the feature where you can use the transceiver to speak to an ally, or you can also like 
tap into like an enemy channel, right? Or am I thinking of a different game? Definitely the first one. I don't know about the second one. No, the second one doesn't seem like you can. No, I meant the first thing that you the first thing that you said. Like, I think yes, you you could definitely talk to allies, but I don't know so much about the uh talking to enemies or like tapping into enemies. Maybe I'm thinking of a different game then. But Maybe you're thinking of the that, that flying game where you have to hail people. No, I, I know what you're talking about too, but it's not that it was a, it was a game like, I mean maybe not a stealth game, but it was a game that had like this military style with like a walkie-talkie. I swear it was Metal Gear. I could be totally just misremembering, but either way, I think that that, in my opinion, is a cooler way to do the truth guess. But now that might not be as relevant because it's not the game I was thinking of. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> well, I, I just can't confirm. I can't remember. It does sound interesting. Yeah, I'm trying to scrub through a video to see if I can see somebody doing it. But <laughs> Quick, quick, quick. Find it. Yeah. <laughs> and it's interesting because, like, the, I don't know, the the use of the transceiver also could have been, I don't know, more intuitive to making the player alert of secrets that maybe like, things that aren't. Uh, I guess that defeats the point of having secrets or whatever, but I, I'm saying if they weren't designed to be so, you know, put the plastic bombs up against this wall or whatever, like if there was some kind of hint or nudge from these uh, outside sources, if they acted a little bit uh, meta in the same way that the uh, future Metal Gear games would, I think I would have appreciated its use more than just being like, okay, cool, you're just helping me ground in this story of me infiltrating this building, uh, similar to the truth gas, just giving me information that's good for me, but not necessarily good for Snake. Yeah, the other thing that I had an issue with with the transceiver, and this isn't so much a transceiver problem as it is like a just designing the like the the main progression of the game, but I had to trigger hunt very early in this game uh, I don't know if you, if this was similar to you guys, but, uh, you know, you're in that, that first area. It's very cinematic. You get dropped off by your helicopter. There's like flares going off all over the place while that like banger of a, of a jungle track is playing and, and you're going past all the, the spotlights and you're picking up, you're picking up stuff and you're, you're freeing hostages. And then you get to the, the front door of this, uh, of the, the base that you spend a significant portion of this game in and you kill the guys in front of it and then nothing happens. And I'm like, Oh, that's weird. Um, I'm like, you know, I'm pressing a and B at the door and nothing's happening. And they're like, but then one of the guys earlier told me like, hey, give me a call when you're at the door. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to hide behind this bush at the door and then nothing was happening. So I left and came back and then the enemies were there again, but they see me immediately so I have to fight them again, and then, then, then nobody's ever hiding. I can see for a split second that someone's trying to call me on the transceiver, and then I'll try and pick it up, but nobody's there. So then I found, by stopping what I was doing, going into uh, like a game FAQ's walkthrough, that like this, this whole like battle in the front door is not supposed to happen. You're supposed to enter slightly lower so that you are already obscured by the bush, and then 
receive the transceiver call. Like, did that happen? Was I the only one that had trouble starting the game? <laughs> well, it doesn't help that there's two doors, right? Like, uh, there's the door that you can't enter through, and then there's the actual drop point, right? <laughs> yeah. And then both of them were ones that I couldn't enter through at that point. So. Yes. So it's it, it's just like, it, it doesn't help that theoretically, if you, you know, because again, it's just spotlights showing you, uh, you know, lightly illuminated paths that you can wind up at a place that you think is the door because it looks theoretically on the screen that you're on. It looks exactly the same as what will wind up being the actual door. But it turns out you just went a little too far north before hooking in east. And instead, you should have went uh, to the other door. I think they could have made... Uh, like if they wanted a decoy door, it could have been like maybe a little bit on the opposite side of the map or something. Uh, it just, I agree. It took me a while to get inside the base. <laughs> yeah. I I couldn't, for that very reason, the fact that like there are, there are like multiple areas that are just like clone stamped over to new areas. So I'm like, I've been here before when really it was just another area that was, that had no unique design compared to like previous areas. All that to say, though, I mean, you know, once once you like, if it took us a while to get through the jungle, uh, once you get inside the first building, um, there's a lot to do in that building, and then there's uh six buildings total, additional with like a there's a shipyard and another campsite, and actually I think there's two campsites. Um, the, uh, uh, there's like a, a train that you go through. Uh, there's a lot of like locations and um. Uh, story beats that make it feel maybe a little more lived in than the first Metal Gear did, which was just like, okay, go to building one, go to building two, go to building three. You know, it's like this actually gave maybe a little more life and scenery to uh, the Metal Gear universe. Yeah, the, uh, the the fact that each location has like a layout that mostly makes sense. Um, I mean, the the each base has a very labyrinth way of looking at it and it, it's not actually how uh any designer would design a military structure but uh like the train is train shaped you can only really go along the train which is nice uh so yeah i i appreciated the the level design mostly i never thought about that sean but you're right it, uh, like another video game would just make the train like really wide and you'd keep going like it'd be like another base <laughs> Exactly. Well, and, and wasn't the first one, the bit, it was all very samey, right? Like it was all yes. that like green floored metallic base. That was my point Whereas, is that like you were, you were yeah. going to a lot of buildings, right? It wasn't just one big building. It was a bunch of different yeah. buildings, but it didn't feel like you were moving anywhere. Right. So this one, just in comparison, just felt like, wow, like it does feel, it feels like you're on a bit of an adventure rather than like playing one area. And if we're talking about variety in terms of uh, the setting and uh, locations that you move throughout the game, there's also some good variety between the boss fights in this game, uh, in the sense that not only uh, the actual enemies being unique and everything, but the, just the, a change up in how you deal with boss fights as opposed to 
you know, everything else in the game can kind of be treated, as we mentioned, either in a stealth format where you're trying purposely to avoid, or they're just, you know, shoot them with a gun or hit them with a fist and they, you know, disappear immediately. Yeah, I, I gotta just say that, like, the, the the first thing that you notice about the boss battles, quote-unquote boss battles, is because, like, the first thing you would consider a boss that you run into are those, like, five guys in, like, a flying V formation, right? It's, right a, it's a football first. team. It's a football team? Yeah, yeah, basically, right? It's a perfect way to and, fight. Also, Joe, have you ever thought about fighting in a flying V before? <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, me, me and my four buddies, that's all we do, is that we all, whenever we get in a fight, we're like, that guy's mighty ducks. But, um... But, like, yeah, right after that first side-scrolling mission, that's, like, that had to have been, like, the I'm done moment for a lot of people, right? Like, it would have been mine if I didn't feel like I needed to play more for the podcast. Because, like, <laughs> that is, like, that is, like, that might be the hardest boss battle we've ever had. <laughs> we've had some hard boss battles. Like, that's just, like, unfair. And I was this looking up, like, like, FAQs that seem, like, very much... And this is how I beat it, but it just seems like you got to use some exploits in order to beat it. Yes, that's what I was gonna say. Like this seems like one of the first games in which, uh, like, you have to cheese the boss, and it's not really cheesing the boss because maybe they did design it this way, where it's, it's all like it's a puzzle and you have to solve the puzzle. But as somebody that's been playing a lot of Baldur's Gate recently, like it seems like anytime I get into like a boss battle, I have to cheese it in some way because otherwise. Pl- uh, going forward as if you're it's just going to be a larger version of normal combat means you're probably going to get your ass kicked so you have to do these weird like this isn't how I normally play this game but that actually like, going forward is is more reflective of what bosses in Metal Gear games would be um, it's just it feels a little more janky right now <laughs> yeah like I'm not sure that I'm convinced that their goal here was for this to be like oh you've got to figure out how to do it because it just doesn't seem like at least i don't know if you, if you use the same exploit i did where you kind of like scoot over to the right a little bit so they start going to the right and then you run to the left so they they don't get to you in time i was using explosives oh i mean i was using explosives too yeah but like i even using oh you're talking about like plastic explosives or like grenade i i plastic the ones that you plant okay yeah uh, I wasn't using. I was using grenades actually, so maybe I should have tried the explosives. But even with the grenades, even hitting them every time, they hit me every time, and I only take you know what four hits at this point in the game. You gotta have all your rations on you. I and I and I did. <laughs> I, I, I actually, <laughs> I actually stopped, started over at one point, and like got all the rations, like so I would have max rations when I went there, and still that was very, very, very difficult. Maybe it was just me, but, like, I I was, like, um, I felt like I was completely exploiting the game, and if I were to try and do it without that, I, there's just, I couldn't. There's just no way. But maybe, maybe that's just me. I was going to say, in, in fairness, maybe to both the game and to you, um, you know, uh, and Sean's point about how, you know, you kind of have to think outside what you, how you played the game up until these boss fights, I think every boss battle is kind of, is kind of like that. Like each of these boss fights is pretty punishing if you try to just be the guy who like takes them head on or shoots at them and tries to like whittle them down and help. Instead, you do have to. And I feel like the guide, at least that I was using, uh, was encouraging these solutions as like, uh, yeah, like I'm sure somebody could be good enough to dodge everything and, and take them down. But instead, it's like, 
you know, hey, if you want to defeat the the tank, right? Like here's the here's the exploit, right? It's like I feel like in in a way, especially as a, a lone soldier, right? You're not some kind of super soldier like you feel like in some other NES games. As the lone soldier, it is interesting to get creative and and hug the corners and you know and use the explosives when you know like or use the remote missiles right like you shouldn't have to feel like like that's your equipment that's what you have on you i mean i agree with everything you're saying i just didn't feel like that was reflected in the way that the game design was here and again maybe like i'm I'm interested in hear how you guys did it but like for me the problem is that these for anyone who hasn't played it these five guys they converge on you all at once they hit you like pretty much no matter what like you, you like you said you can't really avoid them they they go to wherever you are and there there is like this weird for some reason way where it's like if you go to the right and then to the left far enough but just before they get to you they'll just stop and turn away which does feel like a glitch because like why would why would they do there's no reason for them to do that other than to like make it easier i guess but like that would only happen sometime like even as even as i'm using the exploit it didn't work most of the time like usually i would just get hit no matter what and that felt i don't know like that's what i i I don't see what the like creative way is to be because like the thing that i was doing that i read on the faq was not something that like you would think of it's not something that you would that makes logical sense that you're like oh i just got to go to the left a little bit and then to the right a little bit you know like you wouldn't know that you wouldn't be able to figure it's not a puzzle, you know, unless there's a way you guys did it with the explosives that I didn't pick up. on. No, what I was going to suggest is, you know, you're saying that you wouldn't have come to that conclusion, but you don't think that the flying V shape, like the arrow pointing towards the center, like implies that they're all going to rush at you in that direction. And that's why you kind of like allow them to, to rush at you and then move left or right. So that as they converge, like, I think you, you wouldn't know that the very first time. Right, and and that makes perfect sense, and that's what that's what I try and do. But that's not, in, from my experience, how it actually works. Like if you if you if you like bait them and then go the other way, they will continue to follow you the other way until they hit you. Unless, from what I understand, you're in one very specific spot, slightly to the right. You take one step to the right, and then you go all the way to the left. Sometimes they will get almost to you and almost touch you, and then turn away. And that's where it feels like. I don't know. That's where I'm I'm missing it. Maybe again, maybe you're right and it is designed that way, but and I was just not figuring that out, but like that felt unfair in my opinion. The area where you enter the room is a little um it's uh it's a little more closed in than the remainder of the room, right? Cuz the V is spread out a bit and it's more square like if you did try to like approach them, right? Uh, uh which would I guess like not even sure how you would do that, right? Because theoretically, like, they're taking up most of that larger square anyway. Uh, as they're coming in, right, towards the center, if you move to the right in the smaller space, right, that's the kind of area, like, you're not encouraged to go forward. You are kind of encouraged to move to the left or right. So I guess that's why I thought, like, I didn't think it was, I didn't think it was as egregious maybe as you did. Uh, or, like, um, you know, uh, not, not, like, look, I got hit. I took damage. But you also, you can, like, it's not one-hit KO. If this was a one-hit KO and I needed to be perfect, I would be agreeing with you. But this is the kind of thing where, like, once you take out one of those guys, now it gets slightly easier because the spread remains the same. And so as they move towards the center and you dodge to the right or left, there's a good chance that, like, let's say you took out one of the guys on the far right. Now they're even less likely to hit you because they don't move in towards that area. They just continue to move in towards the center because they kind of 
charge at you as if they're building up speed and now they can't stop their feet, you know, like as they're getting closer to you. Like they, they, they don't turn with you. Yeah. So I'm actually watching someone do it right now. They're doing it a little differently than me and it is working more frequently. But the, yeah, the way I was doing it, it was maybe one out of four times it would work. And most of the time they would just hit me anyway, sometimes twice because they would hit me once and then they would just, I would just take another hit on the way back. So to me, it just like, I, I, I'm watching this person and it's like, wow, this looks easy. But like, it just was not easy when I was doing it. Right, right. And rule of thumb is too. And I think that, you know, this is not something uh, that the game necessarily encourages or anything, but rule of thumb would be, uh, this is the time to use all of your heaviest weapons, right? Like, I'm not using the pistol on these guys. I'm, I'm. That's why I thought to use the explosives as well. Is like, you want to do enough damage, you're taking these guys out, especially if there's five of them. Like, if you can get rid of two of them early, uh, then you, you know, the map opens up a little more to you. I just want to say that I'm, I'm, I'm happy that we had this hashing out um, over this, over this boss. I think, I think we're, I think we're better people for it. And that's just the first boss. Imagine what we can uh, get to when we find out that um, the main enemy, uh, uh, the main antagonist of Metal Gear has returned and is the final boss in this game. Spoiler alert. The final boss is Big Boss. And uh, I think the like story explanation is that he's now like a cyborg. Yeah, he's a cyborg now. Yep. Uh, again, not canon, but um, he's a cyborg <laughs> and he survived the... Um, uh, the attack on the other island and um, after you defeat Big Boss there's kind of like a, a, a fight 2 with um, Metal Gear 2 which Sean is that a thing? Do Metal Gears continue to get names like uh, like by numbered? Uh, I, again like I'm much more I'm much more familiar with the PS1 and up Metal Gears, but like they get they get names, not so much numbers later on. So I'm I'm sure you know maybe they maybe they start out with numbers. Right. I guess I was wondering if like they were so cheeky to call like the one in Metal Gear Solid Four Metal Gear Four. No. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. Okay. Like in the one in like in uh, in Metal Gear Two, Metal Gear Solid Two is like you know uh, that's Ray, I think, and because the one in one is Rex, so. They they kind of they get weird names. I liked Rex. It reminded me of like a a dinosaur, like a T Rex thing. And this is like you know, if dinosaurs were the most powerful thing sixty five million years ago, this is now the most powerful thing. And then the one and two is like a manta ray, if right, which is like now the most powerful thing in the world. So (laughs) yeah, it all checks out. I thought it was like Ray Romano, (laughs) who's also one of the most powerful beings, (laughs) right right. right behind Super Shaggy. Uh, okay, and so what I, what I meant is, is though, is that yes, you can lose in the Metal Gear Two fight. It is still a fight, but it's one of those where like the metal the Metal Gear Two doesn't really attack. It's supposed to be more of like a cinematic final fight, and that the real fight was with Big Boss, which is kind of cool. Uh, the Snake versus Big Boss angle. But I, I like that they still made it like even though yeah, like the big the big fight was Big Boss. It's like. It's kind of interesting that it's still like a little bit of a challenge. It's like a, it's like its own little mini game, you know. Whereas, like, I feel like a lot of games would just be okay. You beat the boss, go just like shoot the heck out of the out of the out of Metal Gear Two or whatever. Well, even even if it was just that, I appreciate that they're letting you do it instead of it just being like a a a, a picture that they show that says congratulations. <laughs> yeah. And so just to be clear about what the what the visual is there, if you're thinking like, okay, so how come it doesn't fight or whatever? It's essentially because the Metal Gear 2 is about to essentially 
perform the the strike or whatever and so you're in the same room as it you can't access it head on and so you have to shoot these remote missiles through a shaft and uh perfectly like navigate it because obviously if you uh don't do the proper turns it will just blow up in the shaft you have to properly navigate it through these tight turns and then um you have to uh, hit the metal hit the metal gear with the remote missile the one thing that i think is maybe intuitive maybe not is that you have to hit the metal gear head on and uh by that i mean you can't just touch any part of its body with the uh with the remote missile you have to specifically touch this part that's blinking uh has an arrow so maybe that's a you know that's a good sign i don't know if it's, it's like an arrow <laughs> pointing down though so maybe it should have been a little more obvious like an x or something but X marks the spot, whatever. I don't know. Uh, it's fine. It's totally fine. I just think that you could have wasted a few remote missiles accidentally like hitting this thing from a different point and being like, why isn't this working? Why isn't it doing any damage? Yeah, it's goofy. Also, it's fun to note that the only reason you can hit the Metal Gear head on, even though you can see it, is because there is uh, like a chain link fence between the two of you. And I can't imagine a remote <laughs> missile being stopped by a chain link fence. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Oh, I just want to make it clear that uh, the the thing that you're stopping is uh, for Big Boss to set off nuclear warheads uh, everywhere on the planet. Uh, I don't I don't know if we I don't know if we established that. Yeah, we never get too heavy on the plot, do we? There's some heavy plots in these Metal Gear games. Less so in this one, but yeah, still important. Uh, to not let that happen. I please, think. please don't let that happen. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say. Well, you know, since we're talking plot points and sp- we spoiled the ending and everything, uh, I think like you know there is another cool like moment of deceit here where uh, one of the persons, one of the people that you thought was on your side, turned out to be an imposter, and that that also cues up a boss fight, and that's like a cute like it's not the first video game to ever do it or anything, but that's a cute thing that like also kind of. Happens in Metal Gear Solid, right, Sean? That's true. I was it like was that actually what happened, or was that a translation error? And she was actually just kidnapped. Uh, can't be a translation error because this game was made for the West. It just feels translated. <laughs> yeah, well, well, I never said that they they hired anybody, you know, to write these things in English. Uh, but uh, yeah, I can't. Um, you know, I guess I can't confirm or deny that because I'm not the developer, but it felt intentional. Yeah, it's very, it, it's very uh, Metal Gear. You're right, though. Yeah. Uh, but you were talking about Jennifer, huh? Was that not Jennifer? I'm sorry. No, I, I was talking about uh, the boss battle with John, the guy that you thought, uh, you think it's John, and the guy you, and then when you, uh, when you come up to him, he reveals that he's not John, and that. Uh, oh well, there's a line. There's a line in this game. It's like, oh, we just found out that Jennifer's a spy, and it's like we knew that Jennifer was a spy, uh, but and so it's like alluding to the fact that like she's like double crossing you. So I think that's where 
I was like, maybe they could have just wrote that line clearer. <laughs> right, right, yes. And maybe maybe they were trying to go for that, like, you know, will she, won't she thing. But um, she does. She does. <laughs> she won't. Every, yeah, she, she won't, but she does snake. <laughs> Confirmed. Confirmed, yeah. And that I can confirm. I don't even have to be the developer. That's just obvious. Uh, at the end of the uh, snake has a couple different looks uh, between in-game on the box um, other depictions of snake and then at the end of the game there is a nice like presented by Konami and uh, what I imagine is a picture of snake that looks nothing like any of the other references of snake that I've seen before so um, not sure if that's snake or not I'm going to say it is but uh, I did read somewhere one time that um, Kojima, so obviously not in this particular game, he was basing it off of Christopher Walken? <laughs> <laughs> I can see that. Wait, basing Snake? Yes. Oh, in this, in this image at the end where, like, the credits are rolling? Well, no, no, not this game. I'm saying that, like, his original, oh, like, general. in his head was, uh, <laughs> the, the facial appearance was supposed to be based off of uh, Christopher Walken. Well, I can only conjure an image of Christopher Walken like in his fifties plus, so I don't even really know yeah. what he was going for. <laughs> but this this image at the end of the game, I don't know. It kind of looks like a. It kind of looks like he's a cyborg. Like the skin is too smooth. Yeah. Uh, there's there's not even like a hint of facial hair. The hair is slicked back. I I this is this is not my solid snake. <laughs> Well, it's funny because for other reasons, in the very beginning of the game, when you get that like screen that says like that gives you like Lieutenant Solid Snake, like the, his whole like bio. What's the name of that X Men character that's like made out of metal and he's got like the he's got like the military brush cut? Like you know what I'm talking about? Colossus. He's in he's in Deadpool. Yeah, Colossus. I don't really know so, yeah, he looks just like him. Oh yeah, it's it's black and white. Yeah. <laughs> But like, but like his body shape and everything. Like. Yeah, he's very shiny. I'm trying to think about what else it was. There was there was another reference other than Christopher Walken, but um, I can't I can't find it right now. But they said the face of Christopher Walken, but it was like the body of somebody else, or maybe like the attitude <laughs> like of somebody else. Yeah, I wish I could find it, but I'm not going to be able to dig it up this fast. So take my word for it, readers, and maybe do some of your own research, readers, listeners. Unless you read the podcast, do you like? create a transcription, and then just read it. Be like, honey, I'm going to read the paper. And she goes, that's not the paper. That's just this episode of Nostalgia. <laughs> On the sequels and spinoff side, we did talk about Metal Gear 2, Solid Snake, and we're not going to get into anything further. I just wanted to mention, since we won't be playing Metal Gear 2, Solid Snake, just some things that they changed from uh, the first Metal Gear and which route they went in there. Uh, the biggest one being that the enemies are not limited to just the screen they are on. They can now patrol multiple screens across a single map, so that it makes the world feel a little more alive than uh, this version of Metal Gear 2. I feel like that's like they were able to because... Of the hardware. The hair, yeah, the hardware. Yeah. Uh, also, the transceiver um, is changed now to be uh, context-sensitive rather than area-oriented. So rather than just being in the right place to trigger... Um, a codec message now you can actually like it depends on what's happening in the gameplay for uh, a call to be received 
And when you do the call, it is much more like how Metal Gear Solid games onwards were, where you actually see the face of Snake and his radio contact communicating with one another with the dialogue boxes and everything. So that wasn't a a Metal Gear Solid first. Yeah, there you go, Sean. And lastly, it says uh, there's a number of puzzles that must be fulfilled to complete the game, such as luring a carrier pigeon with a specific kind of ration, chasing after a female spy to the lady's laboratory, and deciphering secret tap codes to gain new frequency numbers. Uh, Those first two kind of sound like things that were later put into Metal Gear Solid. Do you agree, Sean? Oh, yeah. There's, There's definitely that scene. So he had, uh, you know, I mean, like Metal Gear Solid, Metal Gear 2 Solid Snake comes out in uh, 1990. And I think Metal Gear Solid was like 96, 97. Um, so, you know, it's fine. Yeah, he just wanted to like, you know, I liked how I did this, but I want to do it uh, for real this time. Exactly. And I think it's funny when you go to Metal Gear 2 Solid Snake's Wikipedia page and it always has like, for any kind of Wikipedia page that has a bunch of redirects, it's like Metal Gear 2 redirects here. For the 2001 video game Metal Gear Solid 2, just click here. For the NES game released in 1990, see Snake's Revenge. It's like, it does get a little complicated, just like the plots of his games. Mm-hmm. One thing that isn't complicated, though, is the same thing that we do every single episode on Nostalgia, and that is vote for Snake's Revenge on the Essential Games list. For me, I'm going to keep it simple here. We've been talking for a while. The first Metal Gear, especially the NES one, but I also did play the MSX version, and neither was perfect. And uh, just to show you uh, how flawed I think it is, I played through all of Metal Gear Solid, was totally amped, said, oh, let me go see what the first Metal Gear was like, and was fine with dealing with the, you know, the pains of going backwards, but eventually just hit my limit. I said, nah, I don't really care. I'll just read what happened or watch, watch those codecs again that were on Metal Gear Solid's disc uh, because I just can't play this game anymore. And while Snake's Revenge did add some new features, I feel like I kind of preferred the simplicity of the stealth and navigation in Metal Gear on the NES over the additions of the side-scrolling combat and uh, the, uh, I don't want to say tediousness of it but maybe like the um the larger scale for me was actually a setback and i preferred just being able to navigate from building to building following along with a map and just having some uh light-hearted retro fun um neither game is on the essential games list but certainly not snake's revenge for me sean yeah uh, i'd say that that this isn't as this doesn't feel as big of a deal uh, as the first one was, and maybe part of that is because I feel a little, little duped that this isn't isn't the correct, uh, this isn't the correct game. <laughs> um, but yeah, I agree. It's uh, it's not on the essential games list. Joe, going into it, I did have expectations from my memory of of how much I remember enjoying the the first game. And whether that's like rose-colored glasses or or I've come far enough away from it or not, like I didn't, I was dissatisfied. Maybe because of that expectation, like like that this was going to vastly improve. And like while there were things that it did better, I, I am starting to just come to the conclusion that like the style of stealth game that they're trying to do probably doesn't really work on the NES. I think you'd have to do things a lot differently because because of the way that like sight lines work in this game it doesn't 
give me the feeling that I want of being stealthy. I feel like you'd have to do it a little differently. Otherwise, it, 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 a lot is up to imagination. And, I, and I'm, I like that in a game normally, but it's just nothing about it was fun enough to imagine. Like, you know, it was like, it was, it was too easy to exploit when you're running around, like trying to, sneaking around. And I don't know. I don't think it was terrible. I've, I've seen a lot of things about like this being like, maybe because it, it wasn't, maybe it's because it's the black sheep of the Metal Gear family. But I've seen a lot of things about people hating it. I didn't think it was that bad, but it just didn't do anything that would that would want me to put it on the essential games list. So I'm going to say no. Yeah, I don't think it was a bad game either. I it's just there there was enough enough going not wrong, but there wasn't enough going for it. Mm-hmm. You guys ever play the online flash game, The Classroom? No, no. Okay, it was. I, I thought this was going to be something that would trigger a memory, but uh, it's probably just me. Probably even the listeners don't even know what I'm talking about. But I think it was on not addictinggames.com, but something like that. And it was this flash game where uh, it was all MS Paint work, but basically, like you were a circle, all the other students were circles, and the teacher was a circle too. And uh, you had to. The teacher had like a scope essentially of the area that it was surveilling and you had to try to find like it would identify the smart kid in the classroom and you would have to navigate through the desks, walk over to that kid, hit the space bar and hold it to like cheat off the test. And once the progress bar was full, get back to your desk all while not seeing that all while not being caught by the teacher. (laughs) And this is giving me very vague memories, but the the vaguest. I'm. I'm watching a video, and I definitely don't recognize it, but it looks awesome, to be honest. <laughs> it just reminds me of Joe saying, like, the stealth game wasn't, like, possible, you know, like, probably with the NES hardware. And I know where you're coming from with that, and I do kind of agree just because they need to pull off a few things. But it's kind of funny that there was a great stealth game that was made with just circles and rectangles yeah. uh, online, and uh, yeah. that pulled it off fine for me. And to be clear, I don't mean a stealth game is not possible. I mean a stealth game in the way they're trying to do it. Is right, not right. I get, I get exactly what you're trying to say. Yeah, like if you had 3D graphics and you can make it feel a little bit more like, oh, you're actually sneaking past this person instead of standing literally shoulder to shoulder with them. <laughs> like you know that. Like I feel like it's just not there yet to do it that way. But the way that you're talking about, as I'm watching this, like yeah, they could have done that, and that would have that would have worked. All right, next week, good grief. It's Snoopy, Silly Sports Spectacular. Don't miss it. Or check out the Nostalgia Bites um, if instead, I guess. I guess I wasn't saying instead. You should listen to both. <laughs> but don't forget that Nostalgia Bites exist. Patreon.com slash Nostalgia. Got lots of new episodes up there. I think we're up to almost 23 episodes now. It's pretty cool. Why wouldn't you join? 